particularly great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Crystal and I were at a Christmas party recently, and the place, the setting of this party, was immaculately prepared. There's just no other way to say it than that. Everything had a place, and everything was in its place, and everything that was in a place was in that place on purpose. Crystal and I, as we went home from the party that night, were commenting about how thoughtful it was. Everything was just clean and so well prepared. Probably why that was part of our conversation is that that's not usually how our house is most of the time. I don't know about you, but it is stressful to host a party and to get your house prepared, right? It seems to me like there are really two kinds of people in this world. Those whose house is always tidy, and sure, it's no big deal to have people over. The house is already clean. Or there's people like me, who to get prepared for a party... You probably have to chuck things in closets and under beds, and you're just looking for places that nobody else is going to go to throw stuff in to give the appearance of being prepared, right? Anybody resemble that remark? Yep. And we aspire to be like the other kind of people, and yet somehow we end up being exactly who we are, right? But it's stressful to host. It's fun. But getting prepared is a task. It really is. As we continue in Advent, we often use the words that this is a season of waiting, but even more, a season of preparation, a season of preparing for Jesus to be born. And I think we know how to prepare our homes for a gathering at this time of year. There's lots of preparation happening. We know what it means, what it looks like to prepare a Christmas tree for the season, to prepare our homes, to prepare presents, and all of those sorts of things, good things. But when I stopped to think about it, I think we take for granted knowing what spiritual preparation looks like. We use these words so often, we're preparing for Jesus. But what exactly does that mean? What does it look like to prepare for Jesus' coming? After all, That's what John's message was, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, prepare the way of the Lord. So tonight I want to offer you three things, three steps, three things you might consider putting into practice when it comes to spiritual preparation. And I think that analogy of having people over to your house preparing for a gathering is a good one. So to start... I think the first thing that you would probably do as you prepare your home, as you prepare your heart for Jesus to come, is that you need to take stock. You need to take stock of the current situation. Do you remember back a couple of years ago, there was a woman named Marie Kondo that took the world by storm. She had this Netflix show all about organizing, right? Do you remember this? And it was all about downsizing, right? Getting rid of the clutter in your life. And she would ask one very important question as you held things in your hand, trying to decide whether they should stay or whether they should go. She told you to ask the question, does this bring me joy? And if you can't answer yes to that question, then that thing shouldn't be in your house. It shouldn't have a place, and you should get rid of it, right? 
or put it somewhere far less prominent. Does this thing bring me joy? I think that's the right question, but phrased the wrong way as we think about taking stock of our situation, as we get ready for Christmas, as we think about preparing our home. You know, every night in our household, after bedtime, after Micah goes up to bed, one of us is upstairs and the other comes down, and we have that taking stock moment in the living room where there are toys absolutely everywhere across the floor, and you look out and you are just overwhelmed by the destruction and the disaster that you see, and it's sort of an unspoken agreement that whichever one of us comes downstairs and isn't doing bedtime, takes stock, and then cleans and prepares the space in that 10 minutes, because we're getting ready, we're preparing that space for the couple of hours that we have together. But I think that's an important first step in preparing ourselves to host, preparing ourselves for Jesus. We need to slow down. We need to stop as we look inward. And I think it would behoove us to look at our patterns our rhythms, our habits, our relationships, or to put it a different way in more familiar language, look at our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Take stock of those things and ask that question Marie Kondo does a slightly different way. So we evaluate and take stock of our hearts and our lives. Ask the question, does this thing bring God joy? Does this thought does this pattern, does this behavior, does this rhythm bring God joy? Does it lead me to delight in God? After all, John's message was one of taking stock, too, as people came out to the Jordan to be baptized. His word was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, Jesus is coming, so stop, please, for your own good, and take stock of your hearts and your lives. Because he's coming soon. And once we've done that, taking stock, I think that leads us to the second thing that would be wise for us to do then. Repentance leads to confession. To turning back. As we stand in the middle of that mess, as we hold the thing in our hand asking, does this bring God joy? If the answer is not yes, then that thing needs to be dealt with. Something needs to happen there. We confess. We tell the truth about our situation. John calls out the religious leaders of the day for exactly that thing. The Pharisees, the Sadducees are coming out to John, acting like they're there for his baptism of repentance. Though they were skeptical of him, his ministry, the one he was pointing to, he said, you brood of vipers, who told you, who warned you to take stock? Who told you you need to repent? Because so often you say, we have Abraham as our father. We have no need for repentance. We're the special chosen people of God. Our heritage, our lineage means that we do have it all together. What do we have to confess? It's the people of God. And what John tells them, 
It's your family tree is not going to cut it. In fact, the tree is about to be cut down by the one who has the axe in hand. Jesus is coming. So we acknowledge the mess then. We confess those things that don't bring God joy. We ask for the forgiveness that he brings. And then God gives us what we need in that moment. The result of that confession isn't just saying the truth, but it's hearing the truth from Jesus too. Hearing the words of forgiveness and absolution. Receiving the grace that Jesus does come to bring. And then having taken stock, having acknowledged the mess, having confessed the truth of the situation, then we get to work doing what we can. Heeding John's words, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I don't know about you, but it seems like every night, it seems like after the gathering, the party is over that you host at your house, you may have cleaned up beforehand, but somehow a mess always returns. You can host the greatest party in the world that is the most joyous, happy occasion. It can go exceedingly well. And yet afterwards, there are dishes to be done and floors to be swept and vacuumed and more and more mess. I have yet to come downstairs from bedtime and find that there is no mess. This is just a part of the pattern now that we clean. So the third part then, I would offer you as we wait... So we prepare ourselves for Jesus to come, is that it does look like waiting. We wait with trusting faith. We wait with faith. Because the message of John was, yes, a baptism of repentance, but it was also to point to someone greater, to point to someone more powerful and more able. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But there's one coming who's mightier than I, whose sandals I shouldn't even carry. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to do something that only he can fully and finally clean up this mess once and for all. In our sinfulness, in our brokenness, it's almost like the guest becomes the host. We prepare our home, we prepare our heart for his coming, and yet our sinfulness continues to produce this mess. And when Jesus comes in his love and his grace, he does what only he can. He provides the healing, the cleaning, the forgiveness, and the grace that's needed. And he transforms us. He transforms our homes. He transforms our hearts into something we couldn't even imagine, let alone do on our own. And it becomes something so much more beautiful and meaningful. And so the guest comes and turns into the host, after all. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what we are waiting for Jesus to do. Yes, John invites us to take stock. He invites us to confess. He invites us to bear fruit, to do what we can, and yet we wait for his coming again. We wait for his second coming, acknowledging that there are some things that only Jesus can do. 
part of what it looks like to prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming at Christmas, preparing our hearts thoughtfully and intentionally. It's recognizing that we do need him. We need the gifts that he brings. We need the sacrifice that he would offer. And we need the resurrection that he offers us too. So as we wait for Jesus this Christmas, we're invited to take stock. We're invited to slow down, to stop. We're invited to tell the truth, to confess our sins, confess the mess in our hearts, our lives, our homes, to receive the forgiveness and grace from God, and then to wait with trusting faith, knowing the one who comes, knowing the gifts that he has to give. Three things I would offer as we prepare ourselves for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. We sing our sermon hymn.